Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. They are the most easily identifiable people in the entire hospital. Easiest. You know who they are. You know why they're there. Every single time you see them, you can go into any hospital and you can sit in a waiting room and you will see this same thing unfold across the United States, everywhere. This is what it looks like. There'll be a 50 a year old somebody, a woman, and she will come walking in and she will be about 10 feet in front of some man who is obviously walking way too slow. And she will come in through the automatic doors and she'll begin to tug at her scarf and her jacket. Her purse will switch arms like three or four times in this process. She will turn around, she will chide the man. Henry, come on. The receptionist at the desk will look up and say, ma'am, can I help you? But she will have absolutely none of it. She will breeze right by the receptionist. I'm not talking to this lady. And she doesn't so much as speak as she swoons when she comes in looking for people who look like her, who kind of sound like her, who act like her. And they go, oh, 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 I need to see each other. And of course, Henry is now carrying the purse and he doesn't know, it's like, okay, this overstuffed bag as he just comes walking in, and she goes straight to the people who look just like her. And they hug, and they embrace, and they sit down over coffee, and the ladies will begin to talk about their experience in the very same way, and what time it was, and how far along she was, and she will have these conversations with her. And Henry, over on this side, along with his friend Roger, will say things like, so, how's things been? Well, I could use a little warmer weather, yep. And they sit. That's what they do. And before too long, this figure will come out from behind this door that's emblazoned with big red stickers that say medical personnel only. And they'll be wearing a powder blue um, outfit, matching pajamas. And they will have a white beanie on their head or maybe over their face. They will come out and the room will gasp. And then the voice will say with a smile, Grandmas, when you want to follow me back, and they will lock arms and they will take off to go meet their brand new grandchild. It's a time to be born. The book of Ecclesiastes begins this way. Chapter 3. There was a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away, to tear and to mend. To be silent and speak, to love and to hate, for war and for peace. He lays in his bed, sullen, mad, angry a little bit at God. Because they have this weird relationship, farmers and the Lord. It's this relationship that goes kind of like this. Little rain, Lord. That's enough rain, Lord. 
Well, son, Lord. That's enough, son, Lord. And they get in this place where they wait on that day, that day. Too muddy right now. Got to get it in the ground. He entertains thoughts. Why do I do this every single year? Why do I do this every single year? He entertains the idea of factory work, anything with stability, anything. And he and the Lord have this really intricate, super spiritual dance to where it's like, little rain, Lord. Little sun, Lord. Gets dusty. Summer goes on. You see the sun refuses to go down. The clouds refuse to give anything up. And he sits there and he looks out the window and he just thinks to himself, was it me? Did I do it? He goes out, finds other things to do while he waits. Then finally he goes home. It's late. The house is quiet. And he's angry. He throws his head on his pillow, his dusty, angry head on his pillow. And he stares at the ceiling with this just bitterness, this aggravated bitterness that's in his heart. <sighs> I can't turn it all into silage again. See, the problem is the ground's got claws and they're stuck deep in him, in his history, in his heart. That piece of ground, for whatever reason, just will not let him go. Why? And as he lays there pondering this whole thing, he hears that sound. It's that deep, deep, almost quiet, silent rumble. You almost feel it more than hear it. And he thinks, boy, I hope. Then he hears it. These little, these little drops on the roof. And he sighs a sigh that he hasn't sighed in a month. Whew. We're going to be all right. There's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot. Makes me think of this 94-year-old woman. She's laying in her bed doing what 94-year-old women do, which is pass. Beside her is another lady sitting there holding her hand, weeping and crying because this 94-year-old woman was at one point when this other lady's mother was out of the picture, diving headlong into twisted relationship after twisted relationship, her grandmother, who she called Granny, has always been her mother. And she sits there and she holds her hand, this 40-some-year-old woman, to this 94-year-old woman. And she thinks to herself, what will I do when she's gone? What will I do when she's gone? I don't know what to do. I don't know if I know how to do this. That's where she ran in the middle of the night. That's whose bed she went and crawled into. Because she feared these men that her mother would bring home, this is where she went. And she would crawl in bed with her grandmother. And this is, was a safe place. And now the safe place is shifting between consciousness and unconsciousness, between life and death. And she holds her wrinkled, bony, arthritic hand where the skin is almost like paper. You can almost see through it, this transparent skin. And she cries. 
And then the noise that nobody wants to hear sounds off. And it's just that constant. And she goes. The lady sits beside her and she cries and she weeps and she wonders, I wonder if I'll ever be able to be like her to do this, to pull this off. She takes her hand and she strokes it through her gray hair that seems to be thinning more and more as the moments pass. And she laughs involuntarily. She laughs because of the things that old people sometimes say. And she begins to hear her voice again. And she hears this voice. If she were here and she saw her hair, I know exactly what she would say. And through the tears, she just begins to just kind of gasp and laugh. Oh, I know. My hair looks like the cat's been sucking on it. Because that's what she would say. And she would say other things like, oh, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. And she would say things like, well, if leather were brains, wouldn't have enough to saddle a June bug, promise you that. And other things like, you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to do fine. She pushes the button and she calls the nurse. And when she leaves the hospital that night, the 40-some-year-old woman walks out and she says to herself, I'm going to be okay. There's a time to weep. There's a time to weep. He stands in the, in the uh, airport with this green duffel bag on his shoulder. There's this young lady who has a hold of him and she doesn't want to let him go. Every so often she sticks her hand in her pocket and pulls out a tissue and she blows her nose and wipes her nose and puts it back in only just for a moment so that she can get her arms back around this man with this green duffel bag. The little boy that is standing beside him has no idea that daddy is leaving. He's going somewhere, but he doesn't understand the concept that he won't be back for a little while. He's being deployed. It's going to be a little while. But she understands. The little boy doesn't. He just keeps saying things like, Daddy, can I have a cookie? Daddy, can I have a cookie? The mom keeps just kind of crying. The dad's trying to hold it together. They call out some numbers over the intercom. It's time for him to go. See, what's crazy about his situation, his situation is this, where all of us have this idea that we have a circle around us and we take care of the people in our immediate circle. His circle's bigger. It kind of incorporates the nation. And he goes and he does this thing so that other people don't have to. There's a time to kill. And there's a time to heal. Thirty-some years ago, on their wedding night, he said some nervous offhand remark about how she looked in her wedding dress. He shouldn't have, but he's an idiot. And he said something and he shouldn't have said it. And she spent the next 45 minutes in the hotel bathroom crying. 
Everybody had tried to tell her, this is not what you want to do. You do not want to marry this man. He's not going to change. He will always be this same kind of person. But she wouldn't listen. She saw something different. And she spends the next 45 minutes in the bathroom crying. Somewhere in the process, she reaches trying to grab the concealed zipper on the back of this dress, which she can't do by herself. She didn't get in it by herself. but She's going to get out of it for sure. And instead of reaching for the zipper, she rips the dress. And she sits there and she looks at this dress that now is serving as a parable, a metaphor of what the entire marriage is probably going to look like, which is probably pretty accurate. With three affairs, two children, two separations, and one black eye over the course of 30 years is what it looked like. And they begged her to get out. They tried to convince her, get out of this relationship. Why are you doing this? And she wouldn't get help. She wouldn't leave. And then finally the day came when he changed. No one believed it, but he changed. People change. They do. They change. And everybody said, seems like a different guy, but you know, 30 years is a long time. See, there's a wedding right around the corner. She goes into the bedroom and she lifts open this cedar chest and from it she pulls this plastic bag full of broken memories and emotions that she's not quite sure she's dealt with. And from this plastic bag, she pulls out this wedding dress that's got a rip down the back of it. And she sits down at the sewing machine. She begins to put a brand new zipper on this dress because her daughter is going to get married. She's going to wear that same dress. She sits down at the sewing machine and she redeems the dress. At the wedding, when they all get together at the reception, the new bride and the new groom are dancing, the old bride and the old groom are dancing, and he leans into her and he says, I've only seen one bride more beautiful than her. It was you. He pauses for a second to try to swallow all of the regret from these years. He's a little choked up and he leans in and then he says to her, one more thing, but you look so much better in that dress. And immediately, all of those broken 30 years are washed away. There's a time to tear. There's a time to mend. There's a time to be silent, there's a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. As I read through these things and I think about all of these stories or all these characteristics and all the faces that I begin to put together and all the things that I've heard, conversations that I've had, and scenarios, you can see different things unfold in all of these. I'm amazed at what's here. Every single piece of the human experience is wrapped up in here. There's not one that is not on this list. The entire human experience is inside of this. What do you want to talk about? It's in here. In these 14 pairs of opposites. 
Your life is summed up in 14 pairs of opposites. That's pretty incredible. Solomon's wisdom is this. How far back can you move yourself from what we are doing here called life? How far can you remove yourself? How far can you back out and take a different look at it? Try. Try for just a second. There is this whole thing happening around us all the time. And this is what it is. You are born and then you die. So there are borders in this world that we live in. Here are the borders. Your first breath and your last breath. These are the borders of where you live. But do you know before your first breath, life was still going already. It was already happening to somebody else, somewhere else, for someone else, with someone else. It was already happening before your border. And then you got stuck inside of another thing that's going on. Back up a little further, can you? Can you look at it even further from a further distance? That all of these things are mapped out. Every single one of us have these experiences. And this is the coolest thing. We have similar experiences. And at the same time, they're different. Are you married? Okay, I am too. Do you think yours looks like mine? No. Well, we have similar elements? Yeah. Here's what else is funny. I have thoughts, and some of you have the same thoughts, and some of you are thankful that you don't. We are all complete different individuals living in a world of bizarre sameness. Do you see how strange this is? Like we have these similar experiences, similar uh, thought processes. We have these ideas that, you know what? The world should be fair and people should treat each other nice. You can come to a place like this, America, and you can sit down and you can study all of our constitution and you can see we are a people that says things should be fair, things should be right, there is justice and there should be justice. But do you know that you can go into the jungles in places where nobody has ever, where they have never read anything about our constitution, where they've never read scripture, and you know what you'll find? An idea that everything here should be fair and just. How bizarre is that? That the whole world inside of humankind operates this way. It's pretty incredible. Then I read what Solomon writes. This very first part in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. You know what this word season is? A season for every activity. The word season is an appointed time, an assigned time. Here's what it is. Everything that unfolds in your life, God has put on a list, it's going to happen. All of these right here on these 14 opposites are a guarantee for every single one of you. That's thrilling, isn't it? It's a guarantee. You, none of you will ever get to avoid any of these. Like, they are going to happen to you. You know what else is amazing to me? Is that this right here, this word, it says activity. This is the word pleasure. Season for every activity, every pleasurable experience under the sun. And then he names them. Did anybody hear like pleasurable experiences as I listed these off? War, um, tearing, killing, Morning. There's nothing about that that sounds like pleasurable experience. But here's, the, here's, here's God's perspective on it and what Solomon is trying to tell us. 
All of these are awesome. All of these experiences are awesome. Mm, I don't, I'm not buying in. I don't think all of them are. I've lost people. I've lost things. Not all these experiences are good. And so I'm just like, hold on, just give me a second. Give me a second. They're all valuable. That's the word. That they are valuable. Because every single thing that happens in our life, everything that unfolds, good, bad, has got some element of God that he has appointed this and said, here it comes. Do you want to know more about God? Then that means you have to examine what is going on in your life. Like you have to look at it and say, like a sponge, like life is this enormous sponge and all these things happen and you soak all of them up inside of you and then how do you get the God element out of it? Can you look at the elements in your life, squeeze it and say, where is the part that's God? I don't know, it's really bad, a really bad, bad situation has unfolded in my life. Well, bad situations do unfold, but there is an element of God. For whatever reason, he is now letting you have this. And we go, I would like to not have it. I would like to not, I would like you for you to have it back. I wouldn't want to have it. But in the conversations we've had, in the conversation that you've had with him, in the conversation you've had with your wife and with your kids and with other people, isn't it true that when you go through something hard, you're like, that was good. That helped. That has somehow made this situation better for me. I am different now than I was. I care more. I'm more attentive now than I was. Because every single thing that we go through, there is an element of God. Which brings up the question, how many of us are ignoring that? Something bad happens and all we want is the remedy. My wife and I have this conversation uh, frequently. And it goes like this. She says, I have a headache. And I say, did you take anything? And she says, no. Then I don't care. I mean, because me, if I think I might have a headache... I'm going to go take some ibuprofen. Because you know why? I don't want a headache. That's why. Her? She's like, I'm going to let it run its course. Now that's dumb. Like, here's a remedy. It's sitting on top of the microwave in a little bitty puddle. Like, it's just sitting right there. It's just a remedy. Go take it, and then you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to have it anymore. Nah, I'm just going to let it run its course. Dude, I don't even know if headaches run their course. I, as soon as I get one, I take something. I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to have a headache. I don't want to. It's like, nah, I'm not going to take anything. Spiritually, we do the same thing. Okay, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Make it all go away. Make it all go away. And the Lord's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just want it to go away. You're going to miss the good part. You're going to miss the good part. Don't let it just go away. Don't. If you just rush the situation to go away, you're going to miss the good part. It's not healthy just to just try to get past it as quickly as you can. That doesn't work. Nothing in life works that way. Just get through it as quick as you can. No, 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 no. It's kind of like if you decide, I think I'm going to run a marathon. But you know, I really hate running. So instead of training, I'm going to not train. Because that would probably hurt. I'd rather just run once than run like the hundred times I have to run to train for a marathon. I'd much rather just run once. Oh, that's brilliant. That won't hurt a bit. Because you'll die. That's why. No, it doesn't work. You have to run its course. There's things that come through and there's an element of God in it. Are you willing to find the element of God? All of a sudden, now it lines up our idols. What do we care more about in the world? Comfort. What do we care more about in the world? Convenience. What do we care more about in the world? Finding the element that is God, that he's gonna lead me through this? 
Everything is valuable. It's all valuable. Every experience of these 14 opposites, they're valuable. You know what else I noticed on here? This is crazy to me. And when I saw this, I was like, like that is either very, very, like I don't even know if this is like really insightful or you're going to look at me like, yeah, that's dumb. I don't really, it really wasn't that powerful. This blew me away. This absolutely just blew me away. I've been thinking about it for several days. All of these experiences right here, they really make up a very short amount of time if you were to set an alarm clock, I mean set a, a, a stopwatch. These experiences make up a very short amount of your time on earth. Check it out. There was a time to be born. How long did that take? Not years, not, not months, not weeks. I mean, when it was time for you to be born, I mean, you were born. And when you die, that's a long process. I mean, I understand sometimes it drags on a little bit. I understand. But I mean, that still didn't occupy 70 years, did it? It's a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. It's amazing to me. I'm looking through this. You know what's crazy is most of the stuff that I see in Ecclesiastes is stuff Solomon did not write. It's like he writes the reverse negative. You have to hold it up to the light and look at it to see who it is. You have to see what it is he's talking about. And Solomon writes right here and he gives you this complete structure. And if you take it and you hold it up, what you realize is that is all of those experiences are true and they will unfold in life. But the majority of your time will not be spent doing any of these things. They just won't. Which brings us to a huge problem if you're me. What are we going to do between this and this? What am I going to do between these times that I weep and these times that I laugh? Because you know what? When I'm weeping, there's a reason. And you know what? When I'm laughing, there's a reason. But you know what's really hard for me? Those in-between moments. Oh, I know when Kate and I get in an argument, there's a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain. Oh, I know. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. Oh, I know. And sometimes I don't act like I know. And I speak when I ought not. And there's these moments to where I'm not going to talk, she's not going to talk. But then we get past them. That doesn't go on forever. But what do we do in the meantime? That's pretty incredible to me. The majority of life is not lived here in these things. These are events. Here's the other thing that I see. Look down at the bottom of chapter 3. Uh, verse 9. Solomon asked this question. Chapter 3, verse 9. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Here's the main thing that I want to focus on. Everything is beautiful in time. Well, not everything's beautiful. Yeah, everything is beautiful in time. Well, I really don't want to wait. Well, me neither. But everything is beautiful in its time. Here's the other thing. The next, the next line says this.
He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. The two greatest arguments that we have in the world, that as humans, the argument that, that we have is always this. How did we all get here? And where do we all go when we leave? Without your faith, and use as much science as you hope, can anyone tell me, how did we get here? And where are we going? And I know that the good Baptists are going to stand up and say, well, because the Bible says this is what happened, and so that's what happened, because if Jesus said it, then I believe it, and it's true, and whatever else. Yes, okay, good. Good, good, good that's great. You can't really prove it to me, though. Where are we going? So you haven't been there. You haven't been there, and you haven't been there. You've only been within the borders of your breath. It's the only place you've been. And so all of a sudden, there's this line, Solomon writes, he has put eternity in the hearts of men. Why in the world are we arguing about how we got here and where we're going? If there is not some aching question right in the middle of all of us about how we got here and where we're going, why would this even be on the table? Why would we even talk about it? Because we were wired to think outside of our borders as if God were echoing down through all the long hallways of eternity and space and time and saying, this isn't really where you're going to live forever. Like he's whispering like, come this way. Come this way. And we just kind of keep following this idea and we just keep talking about it, perpetuating all of these things about I, why, do, why are we so concerned about how we got here and where we're going? And I think it's because God made us that way. Yet, it says he limited us. Yet we cannot fathom. Look at this verse. Yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And then here comes my favorite part. So what do we do in the process of all of this? What do we do in the process of all of this? Here's the line. Verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. To be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all of his toil. This is the gift from God. Do you know what this literally says? This is what this literally says. There is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more beautiful. That is the word. Than to become glad. Do you know what become glad? Do you know what this is? It's a verb. Do you know what that suggests? That you are supposed to make you happy. What are you sad for? Because you choose to? Well, no, because my doctor said, okay, good. Can we talk about what decisions you're making? Can we talk about are you making decisions to do things differently? The command that Solomon gives us is this. There is nothing more beautiful, and that's the word, beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than to make oneself happy. You know why? Because you can't tell me anything about how we got here, and you can't tell me anything about where we're going. So what do you think we ought to be doing while we're here? You're going to experience these 14 opposites, your whole life is summed up right here. 
There's not a lot of really great answers. There's a whole lot of spending time between these things, waiting around for something else to happen. And Solomon says, why are you standing still in such a beautiful place? What are you doing? Why are you just waiting on life to happen to you? How about this? There's nothing more beautiful than for you to go engage with life. The next line is this. There is nothing better for men to do than be happy and to do good. Here's the literal translation. There is nothing more beautiful than going out and making beautiful. Really? There's nothing more beautiful than you going out and creating beautiful. That's the translation. And then he ends with another line. That they should go out and do good while they live. Eat, drink, and here's your action word, another action word. Find, gaze, stare, behold, take in. Take in all of these things. Inspect for what? The beautiful. Solomon ends this little run right here by saying, there's nothing better than to go and, and, and find the beauty in life. There's nothing better. Nothing more beautiful than to go and become glad. There's nothing more beautiful than to go and create uh, beauty and then eat, drink, and then go and create, seek, search for more beauty. But it tells us specifically where to find our beauty, where to find this, this gift. And it's this, eat, drink, and find his satisfaction in his, what, do you, what word do you have? Toil. In his toil. That is his work. Well, I hate my job. No, not me. I don't hate my job. I like my job. But, but, but I hate my job. Okay, that's the point. Like, like welcome, to being, welcome to being a human, you know, because sometimes that's just what happens. Go and find the joy. Go find the beauty in the toil, in the middle of the work, because it's there. Well, I asked this question a couple weeks ago, and it was this. Um, do you think we hold too high of an expectation on life? Like, we, re we require it to make us happy all the time. Like, are you going to make me happy life or not? And instead, what the, re what the requirement is from Solomon is this. There's nothing more beautiful than for you to go out and make you happy. Do you know why? Do you know why this is important? Because there is nothing cooler to me than when I watch my kids sit and play and laugh and talk and giggle. Have you seen a room full of your kids, their cousins, their friends? They sit in the other room. My wife and I will just giggle our heads off because Kendall, Luke's daughter, and my daughter will be in there talking, jabbering on about craziness and they will get to laughing about something, and I don't have any idea what they're talking about. Like, it's so weird. It's so bizarre. But I will hear them laugh, and Katie and I will just laugh. Just, just infectious laughter. I will just laugh because they're laughing. Why in the world does God want us to go out and to create beauty, find beauty, interact with beauty of this world? Because there is nothing that pleases God more than watching you love life. But oftentimes, that's not what we do. We moan and groan. We complain. We talk about how terrible it is when there's this entire playground 
outside for us to go do things with, to interact with, other people to interact with, to love, to care about. And we say, no, thank you, God. I'm a little bored with all your toys. No, thank you. And it says, the ability to do that, that is the gift from God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. God calls us to a place and he says, hey, I want you to come interact. I want you to find me in this. This is not the end, but I want you to come find me in this. Because there's a time for everything under the sun. It takes me back to this parable and then we'll close. There's this parable and Jesus tells it in Matthew chapter 25. And the parable goes like this. There was a master and he had several men uh, underneath him and he says to them, uh, I'm going on a trip, so I'm going to hand over some money to you, and I would like you to go do something with this money. And so you know how this goes. The first guy gets his, and he goes off with it, and he invests it, and he spends it, and he blows it, and just, just throws it right into the game. And you can tell that there's those people who are like, I wouldn't do that with the master's money. I wouldn't do that with the master's money. What if you lose all the master's money? Ah, he doesn't care. He goes, he does. He throws it in there and son of a gun. It, it works. Doubles up. It's perfect. The other guy, he didn't get nearly as much, but he goes out and he does something very similar. Makes back some more money. But there's this other guy, the cautious guy, the scared guy, the coward guy. And he sits back like this with his hands in his pocket, this one little, this one little amount of money in his pocket, clenching it with a sweaty fist in his own pocket, thinking to himself, the last thing I want to do is get out there and do something bad. I would hate to lose it, and then he'd be mad. I would hate for that to happen. Boy, then he would be angry. I think I'll just go dig a hole and put it in there. And it says the master comes back, and the master says, Report to me what's going on. The first guy walks in. He's got this brand new robe on. He's looking good. He's got a ring on his finger. And he's like, yeah, I bought myself a little something nice with uh, the extra money I made. And uh, things work good. But I got, your, I got your money right here. Here you go. And the master's like, well done. Just took mine and knocked it out of the park. Yeah, the next guy comes in. He's not so well off, but he's done well. He said, how'd it go for you? Well, I did this and this and this. It was good. Nice work. Last guy comes in. Oh, he is so proud. He is so proud. Because you know why? You know why he's so excited? Because he's not an idiot. That's why. And he's going to explain this to the master in just a minute. I'm going to explain to you why I'm not an idiot and those guys are an idiot. I was cautious with your stuff, Lord. I was cautious with your stuff. And they bring him in. Bring in the third guy. The other guy walks in. He notices the other two guys. He kind of smirks at him like, <laughs> watch this walks up in front of the master and the master looks at him and he goes so how things go for you you gave me one dollar I brought you back one dollar you're welcome and the room is like that doesn't make any sense at all that doesn't make any sense at all and he says uh, let me explain let me explain the last thing I wanted to do was to disappoint you. I didn't want to disappoint you because here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about you. You are a hard man. The other two guys are sitting over here like this. 
is that a smart move? Like, did he just say he, like, that guy's a, he's a hard man? He said, yeah. The other guy's like, hey, 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 hold on, I'm not done. Here's what else I know. That you tend to collect from people what you didn't put out, what you didn't pay. You're that kind of man. Kind of Scrooge type. I like that about you. Kind of that Scrooge always got a hold of it real tight. And you can see the master's face is turning bright red. And he's looking at him like, wow, you are assuming a whole lot about me. You're assuming you really know me. And he says, you know what? You can take your money and leave it with the other guy. But, but hold on. I, I brought you this and this is good. I, what I gave you is good. It's exactly what you gave me. I gave it back. Yeah, if that were only the game. If that were the point, you would win. I give you something and you take what I gave you and you give it back. If that were the game, then you knocked it out of the park. Super work. But you know what? Unfortunately, that's not the game. And now you're going to be thrown outside. And scripture says, with weeping and gnashing of teeth, to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. If we were to take this parable and move it over into our life, here's what we come up with. There's those of us who have engaged in life. And have we screwed it up pretty good? Yeah, absolutely we have. We have ran with scissors and we have tripped and we have fallen. And you know what we've done? We've looked up and we're like, well, that's not how things should have went. But I'll do better next time. And the Lord looked at us like, okay, well, that was a good effort. I appreciate you running fast anyway, you know. And he looks at some of us and he's like, you know what? I appreciate the fact that, you know, you care. You cared about people. You love them. And sometimes you love the wrong people. You're called a fixer, if that's you. You tend to put yourself in that situation. I think I can fix them. I think I can fix them. That's, that's no good. But you, you did it. You, you worked hard, and you know what? It's paid off for you, and you fixed some people. And then there's some of you who you've just, direct, just engaged directly with life. You've gone out there with your great big box of 64 crayons with a sharpener in the back and scribbled on everything. Tried to make the world more beautiful, and it's awesome. Some of the stuff, we don't know what it is that you colored, but it's, you, you've done well. But then there's others. There's others who show up like this. Well, I mean, I wasn't addicted to drugs like him. I mean, I didn't mess it up like him. I didn't look like an idiot like she did. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Well, I appreciate the list of all the things you didn't do. But I handed you something, and I wanted you to do something with it, and you did nothing with it. Nothing. The summation of your life it should be on your tombstone. Here lies Jared Ellis. He did nothing. He did nothing. He came, he used the resources, he existed, he did nothing. And then I look back at this list and here's what I see. Some of this stuff is for me to be doing. I'm not waiting on life to happen. This is me going backward. I have to go back through this list. Some of this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There are some people I do need to tear out of my life. There are some relationships I need to mend. There are some things I need to tear down. There are some things I need to build up. This is not me waiting on life to happen to me. These are things that God has required me to do. This is how I make the beautiful in the world.